hey, I'm going to tell you guys up front, uh, every week that I have the opportunity to do this, to stand before you guys and deliver God's word to you, there's never a time that I come in here in which I'm not excited to do so. But I will say that there are some instances and there are some weeks in which God sets a message in front of me and I'm kind of just like, that one right there, this one right here, it's going to be one of them. And I don't say that to try and stir up any kind of emotion or any kind of mixed feelings inside of you to think that something's going to happen tonight, mystical or anything like that. But I do feel like what God has set up on my heart and what he's going to set in front of us tonight coming forth from his word, I don't know, I got a, I got a feeling. I got a feeling about this one. So here's what I need from you guys. I need you guys to open up your hearts to be ready to receive whatever it is that God desires to implant there and to not worry about where it may lead you, to not worry about what it may cost you, but to just consider him worthy of whatever it is he calls you out to tonight. Can we make that deal with one another? I'll make my promise if you'll make your promise. God, whatever it is, whatever it is that you desire from me tonight, I'm gonna make myself available to it. You just lead me into it. So all that being said, Let's meet up in Matthew chapter 25. The series is not lacking, where we're looking at some specific things that God in his word tells us that when it comes to these things, you don't want to be caught lacking in them. And we're putting in our second installment of this series tonight, and it's going to come out of Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1 here in a minute. Jesus is telling a parable He's, he's teaching some people that have been following him, and he's going to tell them a parable. He's going to tell them a story. So we find this in Matthew tw chapter 25, in verse 1, God's word says this, as Jesus speaks. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. At the beginning of our marriage, Ashley worked night shift at the hospital, which left me at home a lot by ourselves. And so... I began to try to find ways to fill that lonesome time while she was gone. It started out with me getting a dog that I surprised her with one day, and I kind of put it off as in, oh, look, I got you a dog, but the dog was really for me because I was lonesome sitting in the house all night. She's like, she's a, she's a long-haired dachshund. She's still with us today. She just turned 10 in August, so she's getting to be an old lady now. We had to get her back pills the other day. 
because she's, she's got her back kind of hurt. She can't jump up on the couch from the bed like she used to. But, but I, I got the dog. I was like, I need some company at the house. Ashley's all the time leaving me home by myself. I get bored. Uh, I have plenty of leisure things that I like to do, but you can only do so many of those things once the sun goes down. And so I needed some company at the house. So Ashley's working nights. We had just been married. It was kind of tough starting out like that. You know, I would walk in the door and she would walk out and vice versa. She would walk in and I would walk out. And it's kind of hard on us when we first got started out. But she's working night shifts, let me home alone by myself a lot. And fall came around. Football season had started up kind of like it has right now. And I remember Alabama had a game this particular night. And so I texted one of my buddies. I was like, hey, Ashley's got to work tonight. You want to come over and watch the game this weekend? This is on like a Monday. He's like, sure, man, sounds good to me. He's like, what do you need me to bring? I was like, I don't know. Just pick up a pizza or something like that, some wings. We'll chill. We'll hang out. We'll watch the ball game together. And so he's like, cool, I'll see you on the weekend. Well, during the week, I got preoccupied doing various other things like we normally do throughout the week. And I completely had it fly my brain that I'd ever even invited him to come over to the house. So Saturday rolls around, Saturday afternoon. I'd been out doing some stuff, came back in the house, took a shower, cleaned up, kicked back on the couch, was just hanging out, just chilling. When all of a sudden my phone went off, and it was a text that I got from him that said, on my way. And I, like, panicked. Because, you know, like, when you expect company, you clean up a little bit. Like, you get, you get the house, you get the apartment, and you get the dorm, like, in somewhat livable condition. At least some of us do. Some of you just straight up don't care. You're like, yeah, that pizza's been there for a month. It's fine. It only moves every now and then. Like, so some of you don't care, but I was like, I panicked. So I like jumped up. I was grabbing clothes, throwing them in closets, picking up couches, throwing them underneath there. Like I was, I was putting dirty dishes like in the cabinets like they had been fought. I was like, I just hope you don't pick that. We'll use paper plates. It's fine. I was trying to clean the house the best that I could. I was trying to, to scrub the bathroom down. Completely panicked because I had completely forgot that he was coming over, even though I was the one who made and knew the plans. So here's my title to help us frame up this message tonight. I forgot you were coming. Find somebody around you and tell them, you need to set a reminder. You need to set a reminder. Some of y'all would benefit like I would to pull Siri out from time to time and say, hey, Siri, set a reminder for whatever because you'd be forgetting stuff all the time. I know what that life is like. I should have set a reminder to let me know that he was coming that day and it wouldn't have caught me off guard like that. Jesus has just told an interesting parable concerning a groom and his bride. And in case you're not familiar with what a parable is, the, the terminology of that, a, a parable is quite simply a heavenly message told with an earthly illustration. And Jesus would often do this to help us grasp the truths that he was trying to convey to our lives. And as the story goes, Jesus introduces it in relation to his kingdom. So at the beginning, he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And so he says, we have ten virgins with their lamps preparing to meet the groom. Now really what this is, is it's the bride and the bridesmaids getting ready for the wedding ceremony, for the marriage ceremony. And it was Jewish custom in that time that the groom would leave his house, head to the bride's house for the ceremony, and once it was done, everybody would then go back to the groom's house for the reception, for the banquet, for the after party, whatever you want to call it. So on his way there, Jesus lets us know that the groom was apparently delayed for an extended amount of time. And he says the bridesmaids all got drowsy 
in their waiting, and they fell asleep. Now, keep in mind an important piece of information. We're told that five of these people were wise. Five of them were foolish. And we're told why they were wise and why they were foolish. So the wise ones are described as such because they had packed extra oil for their lamps. The foolish hadn't packed any extra. During this time, most wedding ceremonies took place either late in the afternoon, right at dusk. And so by the time the reception came around, or even by the time the ceremony started at times, you would need lamps to light your way, especially to find your way back to the groom's house. So five of these are wise and five of these are foolish. Some packed extra oil and some didn't. In the middle of the night, the groom arrives and he's announced that he's there and everyone jumps up. They get ready to head off to his house after the ceremony, but some people are running out of oil. And so they run to buy more so they can head to the groom's house. And once they do that to try and catch up, they get there only to find that the door is shut and they cannot get in. And in the end, Jesus ties it all together. So he starts out by saying the kingdom of heaven will be like this. I, the groom, will one day return for my bride, the church, but you won't know exactly when that's going to happen. And his caution is when it comes to my returning, you don't want to be caught lacking. We don't want to forget that Jesus is coming. We don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want to be caught unprepared as it concerns Christ's return. Last week, I told you one of the main things that God in his word tells us that we don't want to be caught without his wisdom. This week, the focus is we don't want to be caught lacking when Jesus comes back. This is one thing you don't want to be caught off guard in. This is one thing that you don't want to have take you by surprise. So Jesus uses this parable to teach us how to not be lacking as it pertains to him coming back. And it really comes down to just a couple of applications. The first is this. As it pertains to Christ's return, we should have an eager expectation. Jesus told us that his time on the earth was going to be limited while he was here. In John 14, verse 28 and 29, he says, You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it takes place, so that it, when it does take place, you may believe. So Jesus says to his disciples while he's with them on the earth, he's like, guys, I'm going to be here for a limited amount of time. Well, when my time here is done, when I accomplish what the Father has sent me here to do, I'm going to go back to him. And I'm telling you this now, so that it doesn't surprise you when it happens. Don't be caught off guard by it. Christ had indeed come to this earth with a purpose, which was quite simply to seek and to save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for our redemption. And once he was resurrected, once he had fulfilled what it was that he came to do, he would go back to the Father in heaven. But he also let us know that he wouldn't stay gone forever. He would come back to get us, those of us that believe in him, that is. Those of us who, by faith, trust in him as our Lord and Savior, who confess him Lord over our lives. Jesus says, well, one day I will come back, I will get you. And he gave us that promise in his word as well. In John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus gives his saints an assurance. I'm going to fix heaven up 
for you. And when I come back and call you to myself, your room's going to be ready when we get there. Jesus gave us a promise that he's coming back to collect his church. He said, I'm going to be like a groom coming to receive my bride. You guys are coming with me. Now, we don't know when this time will come exactly. So let me give you guys a little tidbit of advice. If you ever hear anybody announce that this is the date, this is the time, this is the moment that Jesus is coming back, you can be assured of only one thing. That ain't it. They have just absolutely secured the fact that that's not going to be it. People throughout history have tried to predict when Christ is coming back. Nobody knows. We don't know the exact time. We don't know the exact hour. We don't know the exact date. Matthew chapter 24, verse 44 says, Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Mark 13, 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in a night. We don't know exactly when this moment is going to take place, but what we do know with full certainty is that it will indeed happen. It will happen. Any bride can tell you that the immediate nights leading up to the wedding ceremony are quite sleepless. Some of you in this room, some of our older adults in the back, you brides, you've experienced this. Some of you future brides in the room will experience this one day, and you'll find that the immediate nights leading up to the big day are going to be quite sleepless. Why? Because for the most part, so much is going through your mind. I mean, you've got like that entire checklist of all the things that you're trying to make sure are taken care of so your perfect day is indeed perfect. You're running through the checklist of, I mean, I, we got like the chicken fingers ordered, we got the cake, got the donuts, we got the sparklers for everybody to send us off with. I got the getaway car lined up so we can have something to get in when it's all over. And then you move on from there and you make sure that you got the flowers. I make sure the flowers are in the perfect spot. Make sure that's all taken care of. Make sure everything's decorated. And you'll spend probably 12 hours the night before fooling with the arbor, making sure everything's perfect. So when that time comes, all the pictures are absolutely perfect and it's gorgeous. There's not a single petal out of place. There's going to be all kinds of things going through your mind leading up to that moment. But mainly, the thing that is going to keep you up the nights leading to that big moment is the anticipation and the excitement of what is coming. A moment that you've waited for your entire life. Right, ladies? Every girl wants to grow up and find Prince Charming or whatever. Every girl wants to find that guy that's going to treat them like the queen that they are and give them everything that they desire, love them unconditionally, and provide for them for the entirety of their lives while they're here on the earth. You dream of that moment. When it finally comes, you're going to be up all night the night before thinking, it's finally here. This is it. Some of y'all are going to be more excited than others because you thought, I never thought this was going to happen, and here it is. I thought it was going to happen when I was like 20, but now I'm like 37, and it's fine. It still got here. It's going to be awesome. That's why it's kind of surprising to me that we find the bridal party snoozing. It's odd to me that even though the groom was delayed in his coming, that the bride and the bridal party are, are 
dozing off. Now, there's a lot that goes into this event, and I know you're going to be tired, I know you're going to be fatigued, but, but for the most part, I would have thought everybody would have been wired. Like, I, even if they started getting tired, I thought they would have knocked back red bulls or red camels or whatever it is they had back then. I don't know, to try and stay awake so they could be prepared and awake and alert for when the groom finally arrived. And when the groom does arrive, it's arrived with a shout and announcement saying, he's here. And what we kind of see in the context of the story is once that announcement is made, everyone's kind of startled into motion. And herein lies Jesus' caution to us. Hey, listen, Jesus' caution to each and every one of us, especially us saints in the room, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Even though we know he is coming, it's been roughly 2,000 years. It's easy to fall asleep at the wheel. It's easy to, to hear Jesus' promises off in the distance but lose touch with the depth and the gravity and the weight of their truth in the present. And Jesus says, don't fall asleep. I'm cautioning you, don't fall asleep. Listen to what he tells us in his word. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Matthew 24, 42 says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 33, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake. Awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus' plea with us as we wait for his return is that we stay awake. This day should not surprise us even though it's coming at a time in which we do not know, in which we cannot predict. Jesus says, my people should not be caught off guard. My people should not be surprised if they are still on the earth when the trumpet sounds and the shout goes forth that my return is being announced. You know how you keep from being caught off guard? You watch in expectation. Jesus says this should not surprise you. This should not catch you off guard. You ought to be looking for my return with an expectation, and not just an expectation, but an eagerness, an excitement. You should be joyfully desiring it to happen. I mean, I just, I just don't hear enough talk amongst men and women of God of just joyful desire and anticipation for Jesus to come back. And we get so passionate about so many other things in our lives. We get so eager. We get so full of anticipation over this, over that, this next season of my life. Man, I'm so, I'm so eager. I'm so excited to start college as a freshman. I'm so eager and I'm so excited to be done with college as a senior. 
I'm so eager and I'm so excited to start my career life as an adult, to get married. I'm so eager and excited one day to retire after I start working. Like We get eager and excited for so many things that we look forward to in anticipation. But where is those conversations amongst the church and our expectation of Jesus coming back? When's the last time you walked up and down the halls of a church? When's the last time you sat amongst a small group where people got together and are like, man, hey, can I just tell you something? Jeez, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Man, I can't wait for this world to be behind me. Man, I can't wait to get this nasty flesh off of my body so I can be done with it. There should be an eager, there should be an excitement. There should be a joyful desire for Christ to return. And I'm afraid the reason why maybe there's not is because we just got a little bit too much love for the world left in us. You ever had something planned that you so anticipated you thought it'd never get here? Like it, it was, you were so full of excitement like the night before, and you just you didn't really sleep. You kind of just flopped all over the bed all night. And you rolled over and you checked your phone, looked at the time like every ten minutes. You roll over and it's like two a.m. You roll back over. You flop back over, you pull the phone, and it's like 2.05, and you're like, there's no way. It's been at least an hour. It has to have been. You get so full of anticipation that, that you, you just you can't wait for it to get there. That's the kind of eager expectation that the saints should have looking to the return of our Savior. Now, let's clarify something. Jesus doesn't literally mean or expect us to never go to bed. Jesus doesn't literally mean or expect us to, to not work a job, to not raise families, to not enjoy hobbies or all those other things. His caution is for us to be ready for him even in the midst of those things. So we still, we still do all the things. We live our lives. We, we do all the things. We, we go to work. We have families. We raise kids. We enjoy hobbies. We get outside of these walls, and we're a part, of, a part of the fabric of life around us. But we do all those things with our hearts and our eyes and our ears and our minds inclined towards heaven, straining, listening, looking, thinking that this could be the moment. Hey, I promised you guys one day, like, you're going to get a real job and you're going to find out that it stinks. And there's going to be times where you enjoy it, but for the most part, it's going to stink, even if it's something that you're passionate about. Let me tell you something that I found has helped, is that if I go to my job and I think, I'm going to go to work today, but Jesus could come back before lunch. <laughs> it hadn't happened yet. But I'm still expecting it to happen. Come on, Jesus. Come back on it. Come on. I know it today. Today could be the day. It could happen any moment. Incline ourselves towards heaven. Where the Bible says where we, where we wait our blessed hope to appear. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Francis Chan tells a story of going to watch a movie with his mom. And it wasn't that, that we might consider this to be just an awful movie for what it contained, but by his description, it wasn't close to being a godly movie either. And he says, for the first 30 minutes of that movie, his mom just like squirmed around back and forth in her chair. Like she couldn't get comfortable. She, she'd sit up, she'd lean back, she'd turn to the right, she'd turn to the left. She said, he said, this went on for like the first 30 minutes of the movie. He's like, it's really kind of getting on my nerves for a little while. Like, Mom, what are you doing? Until finally, after flopping back and forth in her chair for so long, she grabbed all her stuff, got up, 
and just left the theater without saying a word. And so he says, I followed her out because I had to find out what was going on. I was like, Mom, is something wrong? Are you, are you sick? Do you not feel good? Like, like what's going on? Why would you just get up and, and leave the theater? Why would you just walk out like that? And she turned around and she said, Baby, this just isn't where I want to be found and what I want to be doing if my Jesus were to return in these moments. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Listen, if we would live in anticipation of a shout, it would keep us out of areas of shame. I really hate to use this quote, but I can't, I can't get away from it. If any of y'all are familiar with a man by the name of Joe Dirt, one of his popular sayings would be to ask people that question, man, is this where you want to be when Jesus comes back? If we would live in anticipation of that shout, it would do us a lot of good in keeping us out of places we should never be in. That's how God expects his saints to live. My prayer is that Jesus wouldn't find us sleeping when he returns. We would stay awake, looking for him with an eager expectation. Here's your second application. We should make proper preparations. If Christ is going to return, we don't want to be caught lagging. you got to make proper preparations. Jesus goes on to teach us that in order for us to not be caught lacking when he returns, we need to be properly prepared. And I see two specific categories that he wants us to prepared in. The first one is personally. So you got to make some personal preparations. Remember in the parable, the bridal party contained five wise people and five foolish people. And the wise were considered such because they had prepared beforehand for the groom's coming. They packed extra oil, making sure that they wouldn't run out. They took the steps that were needed to ensure that they had what was needed when the moment came. The foolish ones had made no such preparations. They didn't have what was needed when it was needed. And so when the groom arrived and everyone headed back to his house for the reception, the foolish ones went scrambling to find more oil. And in the process of doing so, found themselves locked out of the party later on. Now listen carefully to what all this represents. Jesus likens himself to being the groom who comes to call his church, of which we are a part. We are the bridal party. We are the bridal party that he is coming to call home to himself. Within this parable, the five wise people who made preparations beforehand to make sure they had enough oil with them are those who have placed their faith in Jesus and have had their souls redeemed in him. They are ready for the groom's return. The five foolish are those who have been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have sat underneath the teaching of his word, who maybe even know a lot of things about Christ and about what they should be doing and the decisions that they should be making. They may have even come under conviction by the Holy Spirit at a specific time in their life, knowing that they needed to repent, knowing that they needed to turn to Christ, but decided not to. But even still, they want to associate themselves with all things Jesus. Be careful. Listen, 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 listen. This is such a key point to this. This is about the individual preparation we all must make when it comes to salvation. 
Each of us has our own responsibility and our own choice to make on whether we will by faith believe in Jesus or not. Now, I want to point something out to you. Did you notice how the foolish bridesmaids ask the wise ones for some of their oil? Listen to me in this. You will not enter into heaven based on family members' faith. You will not enter into heaven based on friends' faith. In other words, you don't get to use their oil. And if you wait until Jesus shows up to go find some, you're going to find yourself locked out. It's going to be too late. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that in hopes that the Holy Spirit will awaken you to the urgency of what sits in front of you, even tonight in these moments. Luke chapter 13, verse 25 says, When... When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us and he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. He will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. If you do not bow and confess Jesus as your Lord, if you don't place your trust in him to, to cover your sins by his blood, even if you are associated with all the things, man, you can be here week in and week out. You can go on mission trips. You can serve in small groups. You can be at every community service event. You can memorize verses. You can say prayers. You can sing all the songs. If you have never bowed your knee and confessed Jesus as your Lord, you're going to stand at the door and knock one day, and he's going to say, I don't know who you are. And it's going to be too late. The opportunity is going to pass by. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be taking place behind that door, and you're not going to be let in to sit at the table. Are you prepared? Are you personally prepared for when Christ returns? We've got to make personal preparations. It is of paramount importance that we do so correctly. So we got to prepare a person. The second category I want to show you this through is that we got to be prepared commissionally. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned us. In Matthew chapter 28, and verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he tells us to go and make disciples, to do our part in preparing people for his return by sharing the gospel to multiply ourselves, to help build his kingdom, to let people know that they need their own oil. When Jesus did ascend, the disciples, it's kind of a funny instance, as Jesus ascends back into heaven, he's giving his disciples the great commission, and whoop, up he goes. And they're all sitting there like dumbfounded, like. Even though he had told them time and time again, guys, when, when the work is done, when, when redemption is made available, I'm going back. And so he goes back, and they're still dumbfounded by it. They're like, and as they're standing there looking up in the clouds, all of a sudden this, this angel pops up in the midst of them. He's just like, boop. And he's like, hey. And they're like, whoa, where this guy come from? And like, what are you guys doing? Did he not tell you that in the same manner in which he went up, he's going to come back down one day? And at the same time, guys, hey, there's work to be done he told you to go, 
Go and make disciples. Go and teach. Go and proclaim. Go and let them know that they need this same Jesus you have spent your life serving. Go and get them. Go and tell them. Go and let them know that a time is coming when he's coming back and they need to put their faith in him. There's work to be done, so get out of here. Go. And Jesus accentuates this in a, a follow-up parable to the one that we just read. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 25, underneath the parable of the ten virgins, we see the parable of the talents. And listen to this. Jesus continues and he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Men and women are God. There is work to be done that God has entrusted us with. And when he returns, he expects to see what he has deposited in us to come back with an investment in others. We have no time to be idle any longer. I think, I think idleness within the church is one of the greatest dangers to heaven not being as populated as it should be. Because we as men and women of God are too content to just sit and chill and wait because we're good. I got my oil. And really... The only thing that matters is for me to make sure that I'm good, right? Jesus says, no. Jesus says, what I have entrusted to you is your job to go and multiply amongst the nations. And when he comes back, he expects to see that we have done just that with his name. You know, we're closer in this moment to his return than any other time in history. You know, tomorrow we'll be closer to his return than any other time in history. This is a historical moment that we're in. The expectation is for us to take what Jesus has given us and multiply it. Are we preparing 
ourselves, but are we also preparing others? He's coming back. Here's how I want to finish tonight. We're, uh, we're going we're gonna to worship our way out here in a few moments. And, and here's the thing. Like, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond tonight like we always do. So as we worship, it's going to be your time to, to move. So just straight up, if you are unprepared, if the Spirit of God has struck you right in the heart tonight and has let you know, if my return were to come in these next few moments, you would be on the outside of that door knocking. You would not be invited in to my banquet. Are you, are you going to turn down the invitation tonight? Are you going to walk away from him? Listen, we're, we're going to hit this again in the coming weeks in the midst of this series, but the invitation only gets extended so many times. Eventually, that's, it's not going to be there anymore. You better RSVP right now. You better let Jesus know, hey, reception, I'm in. I want to be in. Take me in. And when we get ready to worship our way out of here here in a few moments, man, the first thing you need to do is you need to make your way to the back of this room. You need to grab one of my leaders and you say, I, I need to get my invitation. I need to get myself prepared for Christ's return. I need Jesus. I need salvation. I don't care. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what kind of dirt. I don't care what kind of baggage that you bring in this place. I don't care what kind of scars. I don't care what kind of wounds. I don't care what kind of hopelessness. I don't care what kind of depths of despair you find yourself in. I don't care how steep you've been in depression, how lost you've been in anxiety. Jesus will enter right into that junk and he will radically transform your life. He will break the bonds that have kept you shackled for so long, but you've got to go. You've got to step towards him. He's already made everything available for you. you just got to go towards him and say, I need you, Lord. I need your salvation. And as they're responding, here's what I want the saints in the room to do. I want us to get ourselves in a posture and we are expecting Christ's return. And I want us in these moments as we sing this song to do so as if he has. And we are standing around his throne worshiping him for all eternity. In the book of Revelation, John wrote this. And I want you to just imagine this with me. So if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready to enter into this worshipful moment. I want you to picture the scene. And then we're going to sing our hearts out unto Jesus, expecting his return, hoping and praying maybe that even in these moments as we worship, that shout will take place and we'll just go in these next few moments. But may he delay just a little bit longer to give some of you a chance to enter in. But listen to how John describes the scene. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.